Hey guys, welcome to episode 53 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So first, before we start, we want to thank everyone like we always do for any reviews that they left on any podcast platforms or any donations that they gave to us on Patreon. Yeah, thank you guys. We appreciate it, as always. We do. And we just want to announce at the top of this show, like I think we did at the end of last show, we're kind of changing the way that we do Patreon. We want to offer those who donate to us a little bit more than we have been. So starting this month in July, well, tomorrow is July. So starting tomorrow, what we're going to do is release two Patreon episodes a month. The first episode is going to go to every Patreon supporter, no matter what level they're donating at. But then the second episode is going to go to $5 and more supporters. So those of you on Patreon, you're going to get four episodes a month, and we're excited to start bringing them to you. So the first episode for patreon will be next weekend and we also have a regularly scheduled episode right we do so there's a lot of episodes coming at you these um next two weeks Yeah, they're coming hot off the presses here we go all right so let's get into today's episode let's do it so recently i was picking through the movies on shutter which is like a horror channel on amazon prime and if you love horror movies and you don't have that yet you're totally missing out yeah, it's pretty much uh, Kaylee's addiction. It's pretty bad. I'm a little obsessed right now. I'm um, like, oh, you want to watch a movie? Yeah. And then that's all we go to let's is Let's go Shutter. to Shudder. Yeah. So. I just love every type of horror movie, and it has everything you could ever possibly think of. And I promise this isn't a plug. I just, I, I love it so much, and it's literally consumed my life this past week. Like I said, Kay's addiction. It's been a problem. Well, one of the movies on there was Compliance, and I had always kind of seen this movie, but always put it off because I figured, like, how how bad could this really have been, what happened at these fast food chains over um, basically a seven-year time period, but the movie is just covers the one case. So this movie is based off of a true story that happened in Mount Washington, Kentucky. And as I watched the movie, I was horrified. This is the most terrifying and psychologically scarring thing that a young, innocent teenage girl could go through, what this girl goes through in the movie, and what she went through in real life. The questions that this case leads to are super interesting ones, like, when is it right to not trust authority? And when it comes to cases like this, who's at the fault? You know, is it the person on the phone? Is it the person in the room? Or is it the larger corporation? So after I watched the movie, which left a pit in my stomach all day, and then I made John watch it the next day, I looked up how close to reality the movie was, and it was pretty damn close. So when I started reading into all the other cases that were kind of in the spectrum of what had happened, I was like, we have to cover this. It's a pretty good uh, case. Like, it really is. It's really, it's a good one. And I think the ending will surprise you most of all. So these cases are horrific, of course, because they involve vulnerable young employees, and in some cases, minors. In many states in America, you only need to be 14 years old to work at a fast food restaurant. I know because I worked at Burger King when I was 14, but a lot of my friends did because we could all walk to it from our houses. Our parents thought that it would be good for us. However, when you send your teenage children to get a job, You expect them to learn responsibility and the value of a dollar, not how cruel this world could truly be. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. From the mid-90s until the early 2000s, 68 fast food chains and restaurants had been called in 32 states. The caller was looking to exploit the workers at these stores. He took advantage of burner cell phones and anonymous calling cards. He claimed to be the manager, the owner, and even a police officer. He told lower management staff that young employees and sometimes even customers of the restaurant need to be strip searched and worse. The case that brought these incidents to the forefront of the media happened in April of 2004 in Mount Washington, Kentucky. 
However, before that fateful call came into the town's McDonald's, there had been other incidents of misconduct. And I want to go through a few of those now. And I warn you, they are shocking and unbelievably frustrating. Now, in the early stages of these phone calls, some managers didn't take the bait. They obviously had the common sense to be like, you're clearly not the owner of the restaurant or you're not a police officer. And in these cases, the man just called another restaurant. And that's kind of what's going to happen here is that I don't want you to think that this guy, this perpetrator, is just calling one restaurant after another. He would go through about 10 restaurants before he would hit one that would kind of fall for what he was doing. And in some cases, the managers that did fall for what he was doing, they would strip search the people from their stores. And when that did happen, the police didn't believe the managers when they said someone was on the phone. And in these cases, the managers were fully prosecuted for what happened. Yeah, I mean, and I guess, you know, rightfully so. I mean, I don't think anybody should be strip searching another person unless it's warranted by the police or if you're being screened at an airport. Right. And you have to be somebody who it's your job to do that. Like, you can't just give authority to somebody else to strip search somebody. No, Yeah, exactly. That's crazy to think right. that that's allowed. Correct. But anyway. And I and I don't think it's too far of a stretch for a police officer to kind of be like, I don't believe anything you're saying. Like, you're telling me some guy on the phone told you to do this, basically sexually violate somebody else. Like, I wouldn't really buy it at first either until obviously this becomes something that is ha- it, it happens across the country. Right. So, for example, in 1999, a newspaper headline read, did the manager tell a whopper? Very clever, Fargo, North Dakota I like newspaper. That. That's funny. After the manager of a Burger King strip searched a 17 year old employee and slapped her naked be- bottom, it says. I just, it's going to be uncomfortable for me to say these words. So just bear with me, audience. Yeah. When the manager said that there was a police officer on the phone telling him to do it, the police. And the judge didn't believe him. And the manager was sentenced to 30 days in jail for disorderly conduct. In most of these cases, instead of restaurant owners and police warning managers and employees that this was going on, a lot of them believed, especially from a restaurant perspective, that this was a bizarre scheme from from manager and employee to try and extort money from the franchises. So the police aren't believing the managers that someone's on the phone and the franchises just think it's a ruse to extort money. So nobody's really listening and taking what's happening seriously so people can be warned not to take these phone calls. It puts everybody in a really weird position as far as, you know, you got one side that doesn't believe, you have another side that thinks that people just want money from the franchise. I could see that. Like, there's just a very big disconnect. Right. Well, especially in the beginning, because you have to understand this is 1999, early 2000s. It's kind of like we're just on the beginning of this. I don't know what you can call it, but I would say like a way that people are being abused through technology. Like you even saw it with pedophiles online with young children. Now this between phone calls, like it's this new thing that police have never had to tackle before. So I think it was new to to everybody. Well, right. You also had, you know, phones that couldn't be traced Yes, with the calling um, cards, the burner phones. This correct. is all new. Yeah. There was no way for you to get a hold of that phone or get a hold of that um, where it's being pinged from on a cell phone tower. I, it was very difficult to do that. So, it, you know, like you said, it's the very beginning of everything. So it's hard. But now, nowadays, this would never happen. Not now. And if it did, it'd be squashed completely. Yeah, it'd be a little bit easier to pin down faster. But despite all of this, these hoaxes are going to continue. Detectives would eventually conclude that this has to be the work of one guy. So it's not a whole bunch of different guys planning this. It's not like a scam that's going on. It's one guy who's doing all of this. And if you think about it, one guy, 68 stores, the countless lives that he's affected. That's incredible. Well, it seems... And we'll get into it uh, later Further on. Further later. Yeah, but I mean, you could tell that this guy knows what he's doing and knows what to say in order to con 68 stores and countless people. So Right, you get away with it for about six years, I think, this one man was doing this. So you do get good at what you do, and this is what he did, unfortunately. And they realized that it was the work of one guy because they had the same MO. He was really kind 
He knew the names of all the workers in the stores. He knew the managers. He knew the names of the regional managers. And he also knew who the owners were. He knew company policies. And he knew what uniforms that everyone had to wear, which is really interesting because different franchises wear different uniforms, especially based on like what state you're in too. So it is a very difficult thing to kind of pin down. So he was really well informed. True. Oh, we also have to remember this is like the dawn of the internet and everything was out there. And I'm sure he was able to just go right on the internet and find out, you know, store, you know, store employees, managers, uh, um, regional managers. Oh, yeah, and manuals. Yeah, and manuals, look up. Yeah, course. I'm sure it's easy to find this yeah. information. But when you pick up the phone and somebody knows it, you're kind of not thinking about that. So True. the people were yeah. like, oh, this guy knows everything. So he must be Legit. who he says he is. Yeah, he must be legitimate. Yeah. yeah, he makes this ruse very believable. That's what he does. Right. On November 30th in 2000, a McDonald's was called in Litchfield, Kentucky. A young manager was persuaded to remove her clothes in front of a customer whom the caller said was suspected of committing sex crimes. The man on the phone promised the young woman that officers would burst in the door and arrest the customer the moment he attempted to molest her. Isn't that insane? So he said, there's a sexual deviant in the store. I need you to take your clothes off so he can attack you and then we can kind of entrap him. Which is crazy. Because the police would never ask you to do that. No, never. Never. But later the girl is going to say she she didn't call the police or think anything was wrong because she believed that she had the police on the phone. So it's kind of like sometimes you're put in a situation where you don't know what to do. And when a psychologist is going to talk about all of these situations that happen across the country, they're going to say two things kind of come into play. Here you have people who are young and naive and they're working in an industry where everything is yes 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 so when they're in that uniform and they're there that's kind of the mindset that they have but then also at the same time people that work in fast food restaurants need that job for one reason or another so it's kind of like a state of desperation that they're in on top of wanting to listen to authority Right, like I said, and it goes back to what we said before. Some of these people have no no choice. They don't have the ability to not listen because it's their livelihood that's being threatened. So I can understand that. Right. Totally. But, you know, like we'll get into further. It's a little crazy. No, it, it does. It, yeah. I mean, do I, would I have taken my clothes off in front of a customer? No, I, I probably wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely wouldn't. On May 29, 2002, an 18-year-old girl had a reason to celebrate in Roosevelt, Iowa. It was her 18th birthday and her first day on her first job. In her first hour of work, the girl was forced to strip, jog naked, and assume various embarrassing and revealing positions in front of various employees. Managers were directed to do this from somebody who was saying they were a police officer, saying that she stole money. From another employee. So it happened again in 2002. But as you can see, things are slowly escalating and it's getting worse and worse. And the caller is trying to get more and more people involved. It's no longer just one person on the call, one person being strip searched. He's trying to pull other people from the restaurant into it, trying to make that humiliation as much as possible. Yeah. And as you can see, as we're talking about these different events, you can tell he's getting better, too. At convincing them to do things. Correct. At an Applebee's in Davenport, Iowa, on January 26, 2003, an assistant manager was convinced by someone who claimed to be his regional manager to conduct a 90-minute strip search of a waitress. However, this case is an interesting one because the company had actually sent out a memo to all of its managers notifying them of what was going on and not to believe any of these calls. However, the assistant manager claimed he never saw the memo. So in some of these cases, we can't assume that the managers are all good and all just like falling for this. There are going to be some people that are going to take advantage of this situation and really do bad things. It's like the Milgram experiment where average everyday citizens are going to be asked to punish other people. And some people kind of enjoyed it while others were they did it because an authority figure was telling them to do it. And they just felt the need to 
go through with it. But then some people are actually going to enjoy the punishment. And unfortunately, in this case in Davenport, Iowa, it seemed like the assistant manager was a bad guy too. In another case in Juneau, Alaska, in June of 2003, a caller convinced a manager that he was working with the company to take down a drug ring operating around the business. The caller described a 14-year-old customer. The manager was told to strip search the girl and make her perform lewd acts. She's 14 years old and a customer. And a very similar case is going to take place with a 17-year-old customer at a Taco Bell in Fountain Hills, Arizona on March 22nd of 2004. In the following cases, you can see an escalation take place in the caller. He was unfortunately getting very good at his persuasive act. And again, unfortunately, he may have found some people who were a little too keen to participate in these humiliating acts. At a Burger King in Pendleton, Indiana, a supervisor was so intent on finishing the search of a 15-year-old girl in December of 2001 that when the girl's father arrived to pick her up from work, he had to jump over the counter to end her humiliation. That's insane. Yeah. Could you imagine just being in that man's shoes at that moment? The father? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Well, I couldn't imagine being the manager in that position. When the father arrives, wouldn't you, even if you are intent on doing something bad, like stop and be like, oh, no, no, like her father's here now. No, this guy kept doing it. Like he was just like, he, I think he got caught up in being the authority figure. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like no, that took true. over. It's true. I mean, I, like I said, I, I think this goes with anything we ever talk about on our show. It's hard to say what we would do and how we would react, but I just feel like. I'm going to go with not strip search a 15 year old Absolutely. Girl. But I'm just saying <laughs> for me. Yeah, no, for me personally, I think that I would go against what's being told not because I'm some, um, you know, r- you know, righteous person or right. something. I just, I feel like I would always know what was, what was right, or which, which was, or what is too much. Right. Like if something gives you a knot in your stomach, you probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Like it. if someone said they were a cop, the first thing I would say is, "What's your badge number? What department do you work for?" Well, in some cases, it wasn't just the guy saying like, "I'm a cop." It was, "I'm a manager. I'm the owner." Right. You know what I'm, but I'm just saying that those are the things that I would ask for confirmation myself. Yeah. Instead of just believing right off the bat, oh, you're an owner. Oh, you're a manager. Oh, you're a police officer. I don't know. I'm, but I guess, like I said before, I wasn't in their shoes, but I feel like that's what I would have tried to do before I continued to listen any further. Right. Like you'd ask for further clarification. Yeah, of course. I think that what the guy did and what he was really good at doing is saying, I have corporate on the other line or I have your regional manager on the other line. So then people assumed that somebody of higher authority would have already asked those questions. And also it's a scare tactic as well. Yeah, if you, have higher you don't want to get in trouble. Right. I mean, if you have higher management on the phone, you don't want to lose your job. You don't want to get in trouble. Correct. Yeah. And in another case in Dover, Delaware, a Burger King manager who was strip searching an 18-year-old employee in March of 2003, fought off the worker's mother and boyfriend so strenuously that state police had to be called to break up the fight. The escalation into the sexually perverse began a year before the call that will finally take this man down. In February of 2003, in Hinesville, Georgia, a 55-year-old janitor at a McDonald's was told to put his finger in the vagina of a 19-year-old cashier. This was done to, as the caller put it, look for contraband. And in the same month, a caller persuaded a 16-year-old girl managing a Sonic to strip search and perform oral sex on a 21-year-old male cook. The cook then was ordered to strip search the manager and do the same. Okay, so I think we all need a break. Before we get into the Mount Washington case, let's take a break to hear from our first sponsor, Wix. Are you looking to create a website? Starting a web page of your own can really bring your business or your interests to a higher level. I have been using Wix web page editors to create professional websites for years. It started when I first became a teacher and I needed a way for my students to know what we were doing in class and a way to get the materials I had ready for them. When I went to Wix, I was able to follow through on my idea and so much more. I was able to let the students blog and respond to posts as well as take surveys. It's wonderful. And after seven years, I still use it in the classroom today. 
This is why when we started the podcast, the first thing I thought of was Wix. The drag and drop website builder is so easy to use. So changing and fixing things is always a breeze. The site also has artificial design intelligence that allows you to create a stunning website in just a few minutes. With Wix's over 500 stunning templates, finding the design that is right for you will be quick and easy. If it's a business you are trying to promote, you will love the site's built-in CEO tools that allow you to get found online by search engines like Google and Bing. Another feature I love is that Wix allows you to edit the design of your webpage from what it will look like on a desktop page and what it will look like on a mobile device. If you're looking to increase your productivity and create a website for your job, brand, or personal life, Wix.com is the way to go. Our listeners even get a great deal. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash podcast to get 10% off. Again, that's Wix.com slash podcast to get 10% off today. Okay, let's get back to the show. By the time the main case we're going to talk about today took place, at least 17 other McDonald's had been used in this scam. The company was already fighting four lawsuits. And despite this fact, regional managers and store managers had no clue that this was taking place. The Mount Washington case took place on April 9, 2004. The store is located 25 miles southeast of Louisville. And this is where 51-year-old manager Donna Jean Summers was working for about eight months when she got a phone call from someone who identified themselves as Officer Scott. He said he had the regional manager on the other line. He even called her by her name, Mrs. Siddons. He said that he had a victim with him that was claiming that an employee stole her purse. Summers asked what the employee looked like. Summers claimed that the description she was given fit one of her employees that was working at the time to a T. Summers asked the officer what he wanted her to do. The man told her that he was a little busy and couldn't get down there right away. But he said Siddons had McDonald's corporate on the phone and that they verified that they needed this taken care of immediately. She finally told the man, that sounds a lot like Louise Ogborn. Ogborn was a senior in high school. She was 18-year-old girl who was a former Girl Scout and had recently taken the job at the store because her mother had lost her job and she needed to help with the bills. When Ogborn was told to go into the back, she was confused. She walked into the manager's office and was told what she, was been, what she had been accused of. She denied everything. She would never steal anything from anyone, let alone a customer from the place she worked. But no matter what the girl said, the police officer on the phone was persistent. Either she'd do the strip search there, or be arrested, taken to jail, and given a record. According to Ogburn herself, she was bawling her eyes out. A direct quote from the young girl states, I was literally begging them to take me to the police station because I didn't do anything wrong. I couldn't steal. I'm too honest. I stole a pencil one time from a teacher, and I gave it back. Do you know how many pencils I use, lose a year? Well, I'm sure. And pens. I buy 500 pencils every year, and I they're gone by March. 500. I invest in pencils yeah, I mean, on I, a yearly basis. So I would love this girl. I know. I mean, I feel the same way. Like, when I do deliveries, I buy packs of pens, and I lose them. And I'm dealing with adult people, and they take my pens all the time. So Horrible. I give, feel pe- give people's pens back. I know. So Summers, despite knowing that... Ogborn had never done anything wrong the entire time she had worked in the store, agreed to help with the search of the young girl. Summers called in another employee before she conducted the search. The other employee was 40-year-old Kim Dockery, and Dockery is the assistant manager. The three women were in the tight manager's office with company policies and inspirational quotes on the wall when Summers locked the door and relayed the message she was getting over the phone. Tell her to slowly take off her clothing, one piece at a time. It was 5 p.m., and the ordeal was just beginning. Ogborn had no idea that she had hours ahead of her. Dockery remembers that Ogborn was crying the whole time. At one point, she reached out to hug the girl. She said, A little young girl standing there naked wasn't a pretty sight. Summers shook out all the clothes and checked them one by one. Officer Scott then told her to put all the clothes in a bag for the police officers to search. 
Then Officer Scott tells Summers to take the clothes to her car so he can pick them up at a later date. Also, this helped him know that Ogborn wasn't tampering with any of the clothes. So he was trying to tell Summers that she wasn't trained to really know how to search for things. So there could be like the property could be sewn into the clothing, which is so absolutely ridiculous. Like who would have the time to do all of this? Yeah. I mean, I think this is the trend of this entire uh, uh, account is that everything is just so unnecessary and just totally. And doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Because even the women in the office were like, well, that kind of doesn't make any sense to just bring it to the car. Why can't we just keep it in the room if we're going to be in there with her? And why does she have to sit here naked? Like if we shook out the clothes and it's not there, like where else is she hiding this stuff? Like this money, you know what I mean? Exactly. So she should be able to put her clothes back on. Yeah. But Summers does eventually bring the bag of the girl's clothing to her car in the employee's parking lot. Summers does admit that at one point she confronted Officer Scott and asked him when he was going to get there, reminding him that Mount Washington Police Department is less than one mile away from the store. That's a good point. That is a good point. Just because you can't get here doesn't mean someone else can't. And the police officer wouldn't be making this phone call from a cell phone. Right. I mean, he would be making it in the station. Right. And then if he's making it in the station, he could just come over. Exactly. So Summers maintains that he always had an answer and he would get agitated whenever she would ask him a question. Eventually, he would create this story that he was busy searching the Ogborn's house because he thought her and her brother were part of a marijuana grow operation. Right. The guy had an answer for everything. Yeah, he did. And he also had a way of getting information out of people. So he says really general things and people just answer his questions so when he the only way he knew that ogborn had a brother was he had asked her has anyone else in your family ever been arrested and she had said my brother so then that's when he created this oh they they're doing a grow operation and that's why we're searching the house so from the information that he's receiving from them he's creating a more and more elaborate Bruce. Yeah, I mean, he's able to make the story flow and make the story be believable to everybody that he's trying to tell it to. It's kind of, I mean, in a twisted, weird way, it's actually a skill that this guy could do this. Yes. You know, it's it's unbelievable. And like we know from other cases, unfortunately, when someone has practiced doing something, they build and build their skill, and that's what he's been able to do. Absolutely. Summers then told the caller that the restaurant was getting busy and could not run through the dinner rush without the manager. And that's true. It's like when you want to override things, a manager has to come over and type in their code into the register. So it's true that it wouldn't be able to run without her. Officer Scott then asked Summers if she could get a male employee to watch her while she was busy in the front of the restaurant. Summers chose to ask Jason Bradley. Bradley was a 27-year-old cook. And while Bradley was supposed to be watching over the girl, Officer Scott asked him to force Ogburn to remove her apron and describe what she looked like naked. He refused to do so and walked out of the office, saying that he would not participate in any of it. He told Summers that he thought what was happening was wrong. However, neither of them did anything to stop what was happening. Yeah, and that's the hard thing, too. You know, Jason felt that it was wrong. And he stepped away from it, which I have to say, as we'll find out, that's kind of not what everybody does. Right. So I th- we have to give him credit for at least stepping away from the situation and realizing that this is effing weird. Like, this is weird. I agree. Yeah. So let, let me get away from it. But, you know, maybe he could have done a little more. Well, I think also, you know, being in the position that you're in, he didn't feel like he had any authority over Summers. Right. And also, he is working. And I'm sure the manager, you know, that once again, the whole authority thing comes in. Manager's telling you to do something. Okay. You know, so it's hard. Well, it's hard enough for him because he already feels like he's saying no to his manager and a police officer who's threatening him with legal action if he doesn't do this. So him backing away is like the only thing he thinks he can do. Right. At this point, it's 6 p.m. and Ogborn is scared, cold, and afraid, wearing nothing but an apron. Her clothes, purse, and car keys had been taken away. 
She didn't think she could leave. She thought she was in trouble with the law, and she thought there was no other option. After Bradley walked out and refused to participate, Officer Scott asked Summers if she thought her husband could come down and help them with the situation they had on their hands. She told the man on the phone that she wasn't married, but she intended to be soon. She was engaged. Bradley recalled during this conversation that Summers was laughing and talking with the man on the phone like they were old friends. And clearly, from what Summers is going to say later, the man on the phone did a really good job complimenting her all the time. And this is something Summers didn't really get in her life. So she was enjoying the fact that this guy was saying, great job, couldn't be doing this without you. And she's unaware completely that when she hands the phone over to other people, that they're being asked to do highly inappropriate things. Right. She's thinking these people are just being asked to watch the girl so far up to this point with Bradley things change a little bit later but I think she's also getting caught up in this authority thing well yeah I mean especially since she's already uh in a position of power as far as the restaurant's concerned yeah I could see that happening you know I mean it's not hard these things do happen and there's people who have tendencies like that you know when they get a little they get a little taste of power and they go overboard Summers called her boyfriend or fiance, however, it's it. There's mixed things about whether or not the couple was engaged yet, but in most cases, he's called her fiance. And this man's name was Walter Wes Nix Jr. She asked him if he could come to the restaurant. She needed help with something. According to a court deposition, Nix stated that he was told that there was a girl in the manager's office that was caught stealing. Summers also told him that the officer told her that the girl was also suspected of dealing drugs. She told him that the police officers were not able to get there because they were actually searching the girl's home, which was in Taylorsville. They thought that the house was associated with a large growing operation. Nix was a 42-year-old. He was considered a good man. He was a father of two. He attended church on a regular basis, and he coached youth baseball. This exterminator didn't even have a ticket to his name. But if that's the way that he was described, I don't think anyone would have recognized him in that small office. Nix claimed on the stand that he was just doing what he was told, but things took a sinister turn when that man walked in the room. Nix said that Officer Scott instructed him to take the apron off the girl, that she needed to remain nude at all times. At first, the man was confused that she had already been strip searched and nothing was found. On the line, he was being told, of course a criminal would say that. She wasn't searched completely. I was trying to save others the trouble of doing this, but I really need your help, Wes. Officer Scott told him that he was giving him the power of an acting officer and Ogborn was going to have to respect his authority. I've seen this before, Wes, the voice said on the line. She's a troubled teen, and I've dealt with her kind before. You have to be really aggressive, and then they'll listen. I promise. Nix pulled the apron away from Ogborn, as she was pleading with him not to. Again, the girl was naked in front of a stranger. Officer Scott asked for Nix to describe what the girl looked like naked. After he did that, Nix told the man that he couldn't find any money. Well, he replied, she must be hiding it. I need you to help me find it. Under the instruction of Officer Scott, Nix made the girl dance with her arms above her head, do jumping jacks, and deep knee bends. When still no money appeared, Officer Scott told the man to tell Ogborn to stand on the chair. When this wasn't high enough for Nix to see inside of her, she was asked to stand on top of the table. The girl complied to it all. At one point, the caller asked Nix to put the phone as close to her genitals as it could go. And he did. Once the girl got down from the table, Nix told her that he was being told that she should sit on his lap and kiss him. He needed to tell if she had marijuana or alcohol on her breath. If at any time Ogborn didn't cooperate with what she was being told to do, or if she didn't call Nix sir, he would lay her across his lap and spank her until she was red. And this happened several times during the time that Nix was in that manager's office. And that's what Officer Scott told him to do. That's what he said. So Officer Scott told Nick 
asks that his girlfriend did not need to have any part of this and that if she ever came back in the room that he should stop what he was doing and hand the apron back to the young girl. And that is just what he did. Whenever Summers returned from the front of the store, the apron was handed back to Ogborn. Yeah, you know, it's actually weird because, first of all, the video is extremely disturbing. I mean, obviously everything's blurted out, but you can still see what's happening. And there's a, there's a lot of stuff. And there's actually one scene where Summers comes back through the manager's office and he throws the apron back to Ogborn. And you would think that she saw that because if she's walking through, that means that Ogborn has to be naked without the apron on. Right. And obviously something bad's going on that he feels guilty about that he would want the girl to cover up and Summers not to see what was happening. Right. So, yeah, it, that does happen where the apron is thrown back to the girl. Throughout the sexual abuse, the young girl said that she often talked directly to Officer Scott. He demanded that she do exactly what she was told if she wanted to keep her job and stay out of prison. While this was also terrifying psychologically, Ogborn was intimidated physically. Nix outweighed her by 145 pounds, and he was a foot taller than she was. Now at this point, Ogborn had been in the back office for two and a half hours. The next instruction that comes from Officer Scott is that Ogborn should get on her knees and unbuckle and take off the 42-year-old's pants. She said the whole time she was doing so, she was crying, saying that she didn't do anything wrong. Okay, I think we're going to take a break and hear from our second sponsor because it's getting, it's getting intense. Getting intense. Yes. Okay, so let's take a break from our timeline to talk about our second sponsor of the day, Best Fiends. America has fallen in love with Best Fiends, the five-star rated mobile puzzle game. Discover the world of Minutia and its cute, courageous inhabitants in this fiendishly fun, free-to-download puzzle adventure. I love playing Best Fiends. I sit up in bed and try to beat the levels before I go to sleep, and it's a really fun way to relax for me. There is a sense of accomplishment I feel advancing through the levels. I'm currently at level 120, and I love collecting and leveling up all the adorable bugs in the game and using them to defeat the slugs at each level, as they slowly get more and more difficult. This is the game to play, and it is 5-star rated on the Apple App Store and Google Play. Best Feeds has over 90 million downloads globally. What is also great is that you can play offline anywhere, which is perfect for when you want to squeeze in another level on the go. So don't miss out on the must-play game of the year and download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play today. Okay, guys, let's get back into the show. So back in this manager's office where this girl is literally being slowly tortured is the only thing I can really truly compare it to. We still don't know what was said over the phone exactly between Officer Scott and Walter Nix or how this man convinced Nix to do what happens next. But somehow Nix is told that it's like hard to even like say Nix is told that Ogborn has to sodomize him. And I don't know how that would even come up or a man would even be convinced that that needs to take place, but it happened. And Nix is going to tell Ogborn that she's going to have to do it or he's going to have to hit her again. So, so she did. And this is all captured on video in the manager's office. So this does take place. And there's also... um it's, it appears in the video that she does perform oral sex on the man, not for an extended period of time, but when she is told to unbuckle his pants and kneel down in front of him. So there was a few sexual acts that took place in the office, unfortunately, that the girl had to suffer through. And this event, like all the others thus far, was captured, like we said, by the surveillance cameras. So it's not called into question whether or not these things took place. They did. Uh, when the sexual act was over, the apron was given back to Ogborn, and the two sat in silence for a few minutes until Summers came back in the room again, this time to get gift cards. When the phone was given back to the manager, she was told by Officer Scott that Nix could leave now. However, she would need to find another male to be in the room with the teenage girl. Nix left the restaurant without a word to anyone. He drove about a block away and called a close friend. 
That friend later testified that Nix asked him if he could come over, and then he said that he had done a really bad thing. This is when Summers called 58-year-old Thomas Sims into the back office. Sims was a maintenance man that did work around the restaurant here and there. When the man walked into the office, he was shocked by what he saw. There was a young girl, whom he was very fond of, naked trying to cover herself with a small cook's apron. Sims told his manager that he didn't feel comfortable with the situation and that he shouldn't be looking at the girl while she was undressed. Summers told him that it was okay, that corporate had allowed it, and wanted things to happen this way. It was actually by chance that Sims was even there. The restaurant was going through a rush time, and Sims, who had worked earlier that day, had come back into the restaurant to try the new shakes that McDonald's had. And this is when Summers grabbed him to watch Ogborn in the back. Sims, who had only completed school until the ninth grade, took the phone. Officer Scott asked Sims to tell Ogborn once again to take the apron off. Sims told the man on the phone that Ogborn is saying she didn't do anything wrong. Officer Scott then told him that he needed to describe what she looks like naked to him. Sims later recalls in a deposition that red flags were raised for him immediately. This was all wrong. No one would ever condone this. Not the police and not the corporate office. Sims left the office and went to Summers. There's something not right about this, he said. Summers knew that Sims would not do what the caller was asking, and the man might have a point about this really not making any sense. She also knew there was something off about the way her fiancé ran out of the store. She decided that it was time that she actually herself talked to the regional manager that Officer Scott had said he had on the other line the entire time because, in fact, he'd never really, she had never really talked to the regional manager. He just said she was on the other line. So when Summers called Lisa Siddons, she sounded groggy. Summers asked her what she wanted her to do about the theft situation because she now had no one that could watch Louise in the back room. What situation are you talking about, Siddons said. Summers had a sinking realization that Sims was right. For clarification, Summers asked Siddons if she had been contacted by the Mount Washington police, specifically an officer Scott, regarding a theft in the store. Siddons responded that she had been sleeping all day because she didn't feel well. When Summers went to the other line to confront Officer Scott, the man simply hung up the phone. Summers became instantly hysterical, begging for the girl's forgiveness. Ogborn had no idea how to respond to the situation she was in. She was shocked. She wasn't understanding what just took place. The assistant manager finally wrapped the freezing girl in a blanket. Ogborn, shaking, asked if she had to come into work the next day. She was told by the assistant manager that she could take all the time she wanted. And finally, the real police were called. Later that night, with the police, Summers watched back the videotape that recorded the horrific abuse that Ogborn had to endure for those four hours. When Summers saw what Ogborn had been forced to do and what Nix allowed to happen, she called the man and broke her engagement to him immediately. According to lawyers, the two had never spoke again. The immediate after effects of the situation were the firing of Summers, officially for violating the McDonald's rule, barring non-employees from entering the office. Because technically that's the only thing they could fire her for, according to their... Legally, she'll be charged for other things, but like that way. Right. For that to happen, you have to think you have uh, the safe back there. You have money back there. You know, you have things that the regular uh, citizen... A A naked girl shouldn't be able to go in there yet. Right. And um, legally, uh, weeks later, she's indicted with the charge of unlawful imprisonment. Nix was charged with sodomy and assault. It was later revealed that whenever Ogborn did not call her sir in the back office, he would lie her over his lap and slap her while the phone was on her back so Officer Scott could hear it all. Louise Ogborn, of course, never returned to work at that store. During the various trials that surrounded this case, Ogborn's therapist is going to testify that the girl suffered from panic attacks and insomnia as she was plagued with nightmares of the attack. It took the 18-year-old girl four tries to find the proper antidepressant that would offer her some relief from her pain. Ogborn stated that she struggles with what happened to her, and she often pushes people out of her life because she is afraid they are going to find out what happened to her. Ogborn was able to graduate from high school, but could not bring herself to begin college in the fall. 
Her therapist said that this was the result of Ogborn having feelings of shame and contamination. She feels like what happened was her fault. Now, I know these people should be put away for the horrible things that they did to this poor girl. However, the person that had caused this and done this several times before and would most likely do this again needed to be stopped. But the problem was whenever this happened in the past, now this case is going to be a little different because it is pursued, but in past cases, most of the time restaurants didn't report it happening because they didn't want the attention, the negative attention from the media. So we know for a fact that 68 stores were called that we know of. That number might be double. Right, which means more victims, more, you know, other stores being affected. Correct. Everything. Um, Also, most police departments, when these cases were filed, they were filed miscellaneously. So there was no real connection that could be made across state lines or even within states themselves. Also, a lot of police departments didn't have the resources or time available to look into where these calling cards were coming from because they're really difficult to trace because they they are anonymous. And it's going to come out that these calls were all taking place from payphone. So that also makes things a little bit more anonymous. So like I said, the furthest that any investigation went was to track these calls to phone booths in Panama City, Florida. However, investigators in Mount Washington case were going to change this all. So the detective that was assigned to the case in Mount Washington was called Buddy Stump. That was his name. And I know it sounds like a character in an old TV show. And actually, when he got a call about what happened at the McDonald's, he was watching a rerun of Andy Griffith's show. I just feel like he is a character within the Andy Griffith show. This That's guy. weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he was the only man assigned to the case. And when he saw the video, he was enraged about what happened to this poor girl. And if you guys feel the need to, but this video is online and it's so disturbing and it will make you so angry because you could just tell in the body language of her because there is no audio that how scared this girl is. Definitely. Without Without a doubt. He, like other detectives in the past, were able to track down the number to Panama City. However, it was made using a calling card. Stump called Panama City Police Department and asked them who was their largest distributor of calling cards. And they told him it was Walmart, which really didn't narrow things down because Walmart's like the biggest distributor of everything. And there was three of them in Panama City alone. However, what did help him was the fact that another detective was asking the same questions. And he was shocked. He thought this was like a one-off thing, like because it is so bizarre. So... The detective from Panama City told him that there was another detective looking into the same things, and that was Detective Sergeant Vic Flaherty. He was leading a task force from West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, where four Wendy's have experienced the same thing. So Stum called Flaherty to see what he had so far, but it wasn't much. The Walmart he was looking into, one of the three in the city, didn't capture customers at the register, so he couldn't find out just who was purchasing the calling cards. Stump suggested that they check the time before the Mount Washington call was made, and they might as well kind of track the other stores as well, because he could have went to a different Walmart. Okay, so before we get further into this investigation, we're going to take a break to hear from our final sponsor, Vistaprint. We love Vistaprint. We were looking to send out our save the dates for our wedding in October, and Vistaprint was our first choice. Not only did they feature the most beautiful, customizable designs, the prices were unbeatable. Everyone gave us compliments on how beautiful the save the dates are, and I couldn't agree more. I am so happy that Vistaprint could be a part of our special day and our memories. Vistaprint made it so easy for us to enjoy our moment and own the now of this wonderful time in our lives. You too can have the opportunity to own the now for only $10. That's a low price to have the confidence that you're always ready to make an impression or get seen in a new way. A custom card with the colors, fonts, designs, and images you choose means that you can look and feel like a big deal, whether you're a startup or a business with a century of history. And it doesn't have to be hard. With Vistaprint, you can create a truly professional, unique card in minutes. All you need to do is upload your own design or start with one of their professionally designed options. 
Vistaprint offers simple tools and a wide range of templates to choose from. Pick the paper stock style and quality that's right for you and choose your delivery speed, order and receive your cards in as few as three days. You can also rest assured that Vistaprint uses only carefully selected inks and responsibly sourced paper stocks. They also have dozens of designs that are just right for your business. You can add your logo and contact information with just a few clicks and know you can use it on all of your marketing going forward, which is extremely convenient. Your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed or they'll make it right, either by reprinting your order or offering a refund. Vistaprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation, which is why our listeners will get 500 high-quality custom business cards starting at just $9.99. Just go to vistaprint.com slash TCC. That's vistaprint.com slash TCC. All right, let's get back to the show. So this is what finally worked for them, was tracking the other Walmart stores. At 3.02 p.m. on April 9, 2004, hours before the call to Summers at the Mount Washington McDonald's, the man made the purchase. He was white, 35 to 40 years old. He had slicked back hair and glasses. He had on a black jacket with small white lettering. After flying to Florida, Flaherty found out that the jacket was actually one worn by officers from the corrections Corporation of America, which employees which employs correction officers for a private prison company. When shown the footage of the Walmart store, the warden of Bay's Correctional Facility identified the man as David R. Stewart. He was a 38-year-old guard that worked on the swing shift. When arrested, Stewart denied making the calls. However, the man was sweating profusely and shaking uncontrollably. As the interview went on, Stewart denied any involvement. He even made a comment that it doesn't sound like anyone got hurt anyway, so he didn't know what the crime was. Although he denied his involvement, investigators found a calling card that could be traced back to calls made to nine different restaurants in his house. Police also found dozens of applications for police department jobs, hundreds of police magazines, police-type uniforms, guns, and holsters. It was very apparent that David Stewart wanted to be a police officer, and that's just what he did with those phone calls. Mount Washington became the first department to charge Stewart. Stump drove to Panama City to arrest him on June 30, 2004. Stewart eventually was brought to the Bullet Circuit Court, where he pleaded not guilty to solicitation to commit sodomy, impersonating a police officer, both felonies, as well as soliciting sex abuse and unlawful imprisonment, both misdemeanors. He was released on $100,000 bond, and he had a trial set for that December. His bond was posted by his brother, who was a retired police officer from New York State. Stewart was a father of five children. He had been married for 11 years. Before working at a corrections facility, Stewart worked as mall security guard and he volunteered as an auxiliary sheriff's deputy. He was clearly obsessed with being in a position of authority and a police officer in general. Oh, absolutely. His family supported him the entire time. And before he could be charged, he deeded his wife their $37,000 mobile home for $100, according to Florida real estate licensing. And um, he did that to protect it from being seized and taken away from the family. His defense attorney was using the defense that his client was just simply not smart enough to do what he was accused of doing. However, all calls stopped after Stewart's arrest. They tried to claim that a few more calls came through, but nobody could, they couldn't like back that up and say where. So they were clearly lying. If convicted, Stewart faced up to 15 years in prison. But after a lengthy trial, a verdict came through on October 31st, 2006. Stewart was found not guilty of all charges. It was later stated in the verdict that the decision was reached because there was a lack of direct evidence. Stewart still remains a suspect in similar charges, but he got away with it all. And I know I'm not the only one that is super aggravated over that because I want to say none of these events would have taken place 
If, that, he was the facilitator. He was the fire starter. He was the the match that just lit it all up. You know, he's the one that started it. He's the one that made it worse, progressively worse throughout the night. Uh, yeah. Uh, not only in this case, but others. So he I don't know put how. These, although these people committed these acts, he put them in the room together. The game of chess could have never been played if people didn't load the board and he loaded the board. Yeah, I mean, he, like I said, I yeah, he started it all. Like, I don't, I don't think even though... You know, there was assault involved and everything. I don't even think any of those things would have taken place without him being involved. Correct. It's kind of like when someone hires a hitman to kill somebody. They're still responsible for what took place. Now, that doesn't mean that the people that did assault people... Shouldn't be charged as well. Absolutely. I mean, that, you know, they still did things that were obscene and and, and disgusting. Well, actually, those are the only people that are going to have to face consequences for what went down. Because... Donna Summers is going to enter what's called an Alford plea, which basically means that someone's maintaining their innocence, but they know that the evidence against them will get them convicted, so they're giving a guilty plea. Right. But it's just still maintaining um, their innocence. So she enters an Alford plea on the charge of unlawful imprisonment. Like we said before, it's only a misdemeanor. So she was sentenced to one year probation for this. Walter Nix pleaded guilty to sexual abuse, sexual misconduct, unlawful imprisonment, and sodomy. And um, the judge agreed to a plea deal that he reached with the prosecution. And because Nix was the principal perpetrator of the beating and the engagement of a sexual act, he received five years in prison. Right, I mean, which I can see yeah. that being You're fair. You're a grown That's, man. You yeah. need to know right away. Absolutely. I mean, when you watch the movie, which is very similar to what took place and when you're reading through what happened and when you're watching the video every time someone steps into that manager's office, you're praying and you have your fingers crossed that they're going to be like, "No, this is wrong. I'm leaving and I'm actually putting a stop to this." But he doesn't do that and no, he, he actually makes it so much worse. Both Ogborn and Summers are going to sue the McDonald's franchise for failing to inform employees about what happened to them. Initially, Ogborn wanted to sue Summers for what took place. However, her attorney is going to say, basically, you can't draw blood from a stone because it's now an unemployed middle-aged woman who doesn't have any money and that if she wants to... um receive any compensation for what she had to go through and endure that really it's mcdonald's she should be going after and after ogborn does this summers kind of follow suit ogborn is suing mcdonald's for 200 million dollars and summer for 50 million their suits are separate in the end mcdonald's defended themselves by saying this and this caused a lot of controversy because the franchise is doing a lot of victim blaming here So first they say Summers deviated from the company's management manual, which prohibits strip searches and therefore McDonald's should not be held responsible for any action of Summers outside the scope of her employment. I mean, right there, it's like, Summers, what were you doing? I don't understand. I have, I really don't have any sympathy for the manager. I don't either. I I think that she should know right from wrong and she should have known the policy. You can't strip search anyone. Right. To begin with, as a manager, let's just say that. Right. I mean, as, yeah. even as a human being. Right. Uh, workers' compensation law actually prohibits employees from suing their employer. So they were standing behind that. Um, Nix, who actually performed the acts, was not a McDonald's employee. So they were blaming Summers for that by bringing him in the back. She brought him in. Right. And this is when they take their shot at Ogborn. The victim did not remove herself from the situation, contrary to common sense. Okay. There was no way that girl could leave that office naked. No, not at all. And there was no way. What was she going to do? Was she going to walk out through the front of the McDonald's? Or even through the back? And even if she could? Or who's to say that she would have been stopped? Well, just scary, too, because a police officer saying you're going to get arrested. At 18 years old, you're terrified of... The police. I think at any age you're terrified of the police. Yeah, if you wh- think you've, if someone's telling you that you're doing no, something whenever. wrong. No, whenever. I'm always, I get pulled over and I flip out. I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's, sometimes it's people's normal reaction because they're so scared of getting in trouble. It's just, some people have that personality. Yeah. And like, as far as the McDonald's is concerned, they should not be victim shaming. 
I, I agree with that. What I will say, though, just to play devil's advocate from a company perspective, like to give a company's perspective, of course they're going to look out for their business and they're going to look out for that. It's it's almost – I understand in that. In the sick world it's, we it's live in, though, how... it's still normal. Correct. It's because still I mean, they are being sued for $200 million. And remember this. If there's one, If one case comes out of this – other ones are going to come out of the woodwork. So they're bracing for the Correct. worst. Well, actually, McDonald's had it in their favor because the four other lawsuits that happened before Ogborn and Summers, McDonald's actually won. Right. So I think they were taking a similar tactic. However, they didn't understand the importance of this one case because this is the one that actually brought the guy to justice. And now, now the nation's attention is focused on this, especially because Stewart got off on everything. Oh, I agree. I agree. I'm just saying. So though, this was a big one. Yeah, and I'm just saying though, like that's, you know, in the world we live in, that's just a, a reality. So like I you can can't understand expect that. lawyers not to fight back. Exactly. I mean, that's but just to the victim, reality. But to victim shame though is just it's sick and it's not right. It is. It's really sad. You know, she was a girl and you Who know was working nervous, to pay the scared. bills. Yeah. Um, um, in the end, after a civil trial and an agreement was struck between the corporation and the two women. Summers was eventually awarded $400,000 and Ogborn received $1.1 million. Um, the agreement was that um, Ogborn was seeking damages, but she agreed to not seek damages if, if she were to receive the $1.1 million. And it's just, this case is one that is crazy. I mean, Stewart is still there. And there was a federal judge in Georgia who was going to say that while the events were triggered by a perverted miscreant, the managers and all others that were the ones on the phone still had a responsibility to use common sense and avoid falling prey to such a scam. I mean, it is true. It's kind of like, what the hell? There were people who said no. And I mean, it took this guy, a maintenance worker who really only finished freshman year of high school. I mean, you can't teach common sense. Someone either has it or they don't. And he's like, no, this is wrong. Sure, he needed his job just as much as that manager needed their job. I agree. I, I mean, I I think that I think that there's a lot of people that could have done something that kind of just didn't. Um, but like I said in the beginning of the show, I don't think that we'll ever know how we would handle that situation. Right. You know, or, or any one of our listeners, how like how would you handle that situation? I it's 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 difficult. I know, and it's easy to say what you would want to say but i mean when you look back at history with like i know i mentioned it before but the milgram experiment where human beings show an obedience to authority it's part of our nature to do so um especially when you think about these people that have taken these jobs they of course are going to listen to authority because they have learned throughout their career the way you become a manager at a McDonald's, at a Wendy's, is doing things by the book and listening to those above you. So, like, it's I'm not saying it's an answer to why this took place, but I think it, you have to think about who these people were, what they were at their core, and they were just trying to get ahead in a world that was extremely competitive, and you have to listen to people. Yeah, you also have to think what were, what could they, like, what was to gain and what was to lose. They had, all these people had a lot to lose. I mean, as far as you know, their income. This is their livelihood. Um, you know, it's it's a really weird thing, and I think it's just a perfect storm of just wrong place, wrong time. Uh, someone that's an out of his mind, insane, super perv, disgusting human being. I just can't believe all the lives he's affected. So, like, if oh, yeah. you think about this one case, just here alone, there's been five or six lives that have been truly affected. Now you multiply that by the 68 cases that we know of, not to mention the ones we don't. Think about how many lives this man has ruined. Oh, yeah, especially if those people have families now. Right. You know, they're, everyone's that, affected. Right, it's a trickle effect. And he has gotten away with it. And I think that kind of shows, and we are starting to learn it, as technology progresses and as crimes change and develop because of this new age that we live in we have to adapt our laws to it because then he would have been prosecuted if it was changed a little bit more yeah absolutely 
So this one, it was a really interesting one. And I thought it was just such a different kind of case to cover. So I'm really glad we could bring it to you. And again, like always, we want to know what you think of this case and how we covered it. And if there was anything we missed or you want us to add. Um, oh, do you have an unsung hero? Hmm. Unsung hero. Okay. This is kind of fucked up. But I, I like, oh, I, well, God. maybe it is. Maybe, I don't know. It's just weird. I mean, I think the unsung hero up, is though. just the fucking milkshakes because if the old man didn't go in there to grab a right. milkshake, That's this a shit would have one. never ended. It would have gone for six, eight hours if you know if he didn't go in so for a milkshake. So thank God they were having a special on different milkshakes. Yes, it's April, so it wasn't the Shamrock Shake. It must have been like a spring shake. That's okay though. Uh, still, yeah. my unsung hero is the McDonald's milkshake. Wow, that's that's a really good one. I like that. Yeah. I'm just going to go with yours because I can't ever top a milkshake being an unsung hero. Yeah. That's why it was a little, <laughs> little fucking there. weird, but hey. No, it's not. You're right. It saved it saved her because he was the only one who had enough common sense to say, let's stop doing this right now. Yeah. Okay. So for our Patreon listeners, we are going to have an episode out for you this Saturday, and we're going to have another regular scheduled episode out next week as well because there was that one week that we missed so next week you'll have a regular episode and patreons you'll have another one so three episodes in one week that's pretty exciting yeah no it is all right guys um thanks for joining us and and be sure to rate review and subscribe on any platform podcast platform that you listen to and if you want to donate to our patreon and get those extra bonus episodes you can at patreon.com slash true crime couple and again if you have any questions or you want us to cover any cases you can email us at true crime couple at gmail.com all right until next week bye guys bye guys